Hey guys, Lexi here, travel enthusiast, lover of puns, pizza and wine connoisseur, and founder of the PR Bar Inc. And you're tuning in to the Pitchin' and Sippin' podcast. From behind the scenes interviews with the media, to honest conversations with other PR pros, to a look at inspiring brands and entrepreneurs that are rocking the world of PR. In this podcast, we talk tips while taking sips and talking about all the things that make those in the world of PR tick. Let's get started. Today we are talking with Crosby Norix, who is the founder of PR Couture, the industry-leading career platform and source book for communication professionals ready to lead with authority and get paid accordingly. Crosby's vision, expertise, and accessibility have allowed her to educate, mentor, and support individuals and brands internationally for more than a decade. With a resume full of four-figure paid speaking gigs, more than 100 articles and podcast wins, international award-winning programs and workshops, consistently sold-out agency masterminds, and even her own book. In today's episode, Crosby and I talk about the realities of what it costs to hire a PR agency, how from an insider perspective, it can be really difficult to price services, how to set realistic expectations as a business owner with PR, and how a strong PR strategy involves so much more than just the media. She gives us her top tips, and of course, we end by finding out her favorite daily sips. All right, let's get started. So I think I first learned about PR Couture through the Pitch Please Facebook group. However, don't quote me on that because it could have been the other way around. Regardless, when I think of a go-to PR resource to refer to people, PR Couture is always on the top of my list. So we're going to talk about what exactly that is soon. But first, Crosby, welcome. I would love to learn a little bit more about who you are outside of the office. Where is home base? Do you have any hobbies? hidden talents, all the fun stuff. Thank you so much. I live in San Diego. I have lived here now for a very long time. Did not anticipate that being where home base was going to be, but I live here now with my partner and I have a four-year-old son. We live in a cute little Spanish bungalow with a white picket fence. Somehow we stumbled into that uh, dog and a cat. And I spend most of my time working. Working is, you know, a creative outlet for me. It feels creative when you're running your own business and the only limitations are, you know, what your own brain can come up with. I actually find that really energizing when I'm not doing that, when I'm trying to turn off screens and whatnot. Uh, I do read a lot. I have a sort of guilty pleasure around uh, paranormal teen fiction Ooh. that one can read in mass on the Kindle. <laughs> and uh, I also, you know, living in San Diego, being able to go to the beach, being able to get out into the forest. Uh, it's been a little bit tough this year, but just having access to so many different sort of types of nature and being able to get there really quickly is something that I love. And so I do try to prioritize a little bit of time at the ocean. Uh, and then what do you say? Hidden talents. Um, 
I used to be a somewhat competitive uh, traditional Irish dancer. And so that's always a fun little hidden talent to bring out at, at parties and whatnot. So I can actually dance a jig sort of river dance style. Uh, that's really the only one that is coming to mind. That's amazing. Have you been to Ireland? I spent a week in Dublin a long time ago during my study abroad uh, in college. and have not been back since. I was it's really, my favorite country yeah, ever. I, it was so beautiful. And I wish that I had been able to spend more time in the country as opposed to being in the city. The draw for the Irish dancing really for me was about the amazing dresses. And a friend of mine did it. And I went to her like a, you know, a show that she was putting on and was like, what do I have to do to get a velvet dress with unicorn with like iridescent unicorns embroidered onto it? Like (laughs) what, what? And so I stopped doing, I was doing like jazz and modern and all these different things and really went all in on on Irish dancing through, through high school. Uh, and then even did it as an adult, uh, found a place here in San Diego that has adult dancing and did that and competed a little bit in a, in what's called an eight hands, so like eight other women or seven other women and myself. Um, so yeah, it's been a big part of, it's been a big part of my, yeah, my, my downtime time has always been dance and, uh, and in particular the, uh, the Irish dancing. I love that so much. I've, I feel like, however, the times I have seen Irish dancers is at a St. Patty's Day celebration. So I have some libations in me that just always, it's hard for me to not join because it's so fun. <laughs> we, used I, to, I we used to be able to take St. Patrick's Day off of school, which was very fun. And then I was living in the Bay Area and we would go and dance at, you know, different pubs and different events that day. So it was always a very fun day for me, just the excuse to actually take a day off school and go dance around in San Francisco is always really fun. I love that. That's such a good party trick or (laughs) hidden talent. I I love that. Probably one of my favorites on the show so far. So (laughs) that's a good one. Um, And I couldn't agree with you more as an entrepreneur. Your business does become a lot of your hobby. So before we get, we're going to talk about Pierre Couture, but talk us about your career prior. Talk us through what came before and what led to now. I have had Pierre Couture as a URL, as a site since 2006. So there's very little of my career that did not include having Pierre Couture as the kind of proverbial side hustle. However, before I started that site, what was I doing? I went to graduate school for communication. I I graduated from college a couple of months before September 11th. It was not the best time for a girl to go get her, you know, shiny, fancy post-college job. I was living in LA, you know, interviewing, trying to figure all of that out and wasn't really getting anywhere um, in the field that I wanted to be in at that time, which was really entertainment. And it was really kind of a struggle. And 
I love school. And so I was like, I'm just going to go back to school, right? I wanted that answer when people said, like, what are you doing with your life? And I'd graduated with this like combined major with honors and had all these like high aspirations of getting my like fancy rom-com style job. And it just wasn't really happening. So going back to school felt like a really good answer. So I moved to San Diego to do graduate school. And it was so interesting. You know, I had been applying and applying, not really getting very far. I had uh, moved to Barcelona for a while, got my TEFL to speak English or to teach English as a second language, ended up doing a little bit more shopping than really anything (laughs) and eventually kind of ran out of money and had to come home. I worked at a hair salon doing some like event work, but it was basically just a crazy receptionist job with, you know, three phones and scheduling and all this crazy stuff. Um, while I kind of figured out what my next move was. And so I came here for grad school. And after all of that struggle, I think I applied, I found a random Craigslist ad for a product copywriter, went in, interviewed, and got this amazing opportunity for an online jewelry company, originally just to write product copy. We had, you know, thousands of SKUs. And so that was really the beginning, but within my first week, the uh, the graphic designer, like email newsletter guy, quit, and so I started to do that. The uh, CEO of the company had recently come back from doing desk sides in New York, and we had all these really great new editor contacts, and so a lot of PR opportunities were coming in. So I took on that, and very quickly, I had you know I was really running the in-house PR and marketing for this for this jewelry company. And I did that while I was in grad school for, uh, you know, for the next two years before transitioning to working for an agency. And it was really the, uh, the sort of combination of that, you know, kind of jewelry PR intro and my graduate program, wherein I found public relations and realized that this potentially would be a career for me that inspired me to create a little fashion PR focused blog called PR Couture that has since evolved and grown. And 14 years later is my, you know, is my deal. It's, it's the, it's the focus of what I do. Perfect segue. Okay. (laughs) So now I'm sure everyone's been going, what is Paracatur? Enlighten us. Tell us what it is today. Yeah. So this is something, you know, I'm always tweaking the language of it, you know, and even having to take a step back and, and check in around what, what is this latest iteration, right? So the latest iteration, uh, we have, we are now focused less on fashion PR explicitly, even a little bit less on kind of the lifestyle space. So that's really our core. So we typically have shown up for, written about, chronicled, celebrated, worked with lifestyle PR professionals predominantly. And And now we have really opened it up to be a resource and platform for communication professionals who are a little bit more on the entrepreneurial side. So even if they have a job, they're often the ones who are, you know, kind of leaders by default, or they have a desire to go out on their own, or they've already done that. And so we're really there as sort of a modern trade organization in kind of a way to help practitioners from first internship through to the day that they 
reach that, you know, six figure milestone on their consulting business, or they hire their first employee, or, you know, whatever that is, we really want to be there and to be able to provide some measure of support and direction and community through the entire sort of life cycle of one's career. That's a big vision, right? That's a big kind of coming in and and trying to solve some of the major challenges of an entire industry, right? It's no small feat. And I think what I have continually looked to do is either by niche or by uh, coming up with our own sort of spin on traditional, you know, kind of professional development is create a space that feels really genuine, that's really relatable and down to earth, that does not you know, that is, is none of this sort of like smoke and mirrors and also really flips a lot of our, um, you know, everything's kind of behind the curtain of a lot of what public relations has had to be because it's such a competitive space. And instead said, we think that we all have something really valuable to share, no matter where you're at in your journey. This is a place where we pull back the curtain and we say, this is what's working. This is not what's working. This is where we all get tripped up when we're taking bold moves in our career. This is how the industry is changing. This is how we can more effectively lead the conversation with our clients as opposed to letting them sort of take the lead and have us just in this service-based give, 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 give to burnout kind of place. And I've now you know, been working closely with PR professionals, communication professionals, you know, social media strategists, conversion copywriters, et cetera. And most of what I'm doing personally right now is much more on the coaching side than it than anything. And we remain really one of a handful of businesses that are really out there supporting the practitioner versus teaching, you know, PR skills or strategies to a small business owner or doing service, you know, done for you services. Right. And well, first off, I do feel like you have accomplished that goal because that's what I associate with PR Couture. Truly, I do. And I think it's a very unique community and really cool. I'm I'm very much about all things collaboration. And you're so right. There is a sense, there really, especially a few years ago, a sense of competition. And as that's why when, once again, that pitch please Facebook group entered my radar, however it did, I was, I was, I found it very refreshing and I've met many professionals through your community. We will come back to that because I know everyone wants to know how to join, but first let's talk about a little PR. So I was perusing your website, deciding what exactly I wanted to talk with you about, since obviously we could go a million different ways. And the first thing that I did was read your homepage banner, which reads, quote, PR Couture is the industry leading platform for communication professionals ready to lead with authority and get paid accordingly. So I want to focus on that last part, get paid accordingly. The question I have will be both helpful to those working in the PR industry, but also those looking to potentially hire someone. So what are you seeing as an average PR agency retainer these days? I know that it can differ, but I'd love to hear your observations. Yeah, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting question because pricing is so weird, right? Like pricing is so... (laughs) It's such a challenge. Uh, we have, you know, kind of industry pricing, 
you know, in sort of some broad buckets, which I can speak to. And then we also have you know, you, you as the individual, as the agency owner, trying to figure out what feels like an equitable uh, sort of exchange of money for expertise, right? And that comes with all sorts of, uh, you know, potential mindset challenges. Uh, and it's sort of like, an, it's just an ongoing um, sort of conversation that we all have to have consistently in our businesses. Does this feel good? Because the, the, the danger of, you know, underpricing your services, allowing clients to dictate how much things cost, you know, somebody comes in and says they have a thousand dollars and you're like, well, I don't want to turn away a thousand dollars. So let me figure out a way to make this work. The result of that is often that you end up feeling resentful of your clients. You have low energy. You're not excited to accomplish the task. And the truth of the matter is that the expectations of that thousand dollar client often try, often are are more intense than the expectations of a higher ticket client so true only because par- partially because a smaller business with smaller budget to play with has a heightened sense of fear and concern around wanting to make sure that their budget is being used appropriately. So they're in your inbox all the time. They're, they're texting, they're asking for the result, the result, the result, um, as opposed to a different type of business that maybe has worked with an agency in the past, kind of knows, knows the drill and trusts you to be the true expert and is a little bit more hands-off, which allows you to then do your best work. So I will say that broadly... I am still seeing the kind of standard entry boutique agency retainer at about 2,500. That is about the bare minimum. If you look at, you know, the, if, if, if you're pricing it according to hourly or your, which, you know, has its pros and cons, or you're pricing it according to um, sort of the results and how that, how those results impact the bottom line, regardless, we've got this kind of like 2,500 monthly retainer. Um, you know, some people, of course, go a little bit lower. Some people go a little bit higher. Um, that has been true. That $2,500 mark has been true in the 10 plus years that I have had, you know, deep insight into what people are, what people are charging. Uh, it hasn't really changed. Um, and it often is, it's, it's a challenging price point because you can have, you know, five clients at 2,500. And that's a huge amount of client management that is happening. That's a lot of sort of like juggling and keeping track and, you know, doing, doing the work day in and day out and doesn't really translate when you look at, you know, the expenses of a typical small business or bringing on a team that does not give you a pretty, like a, a very strong, like profit margin. Um, so, so it can be a little bit tough at that $2,500 mark, but for a lot of smaller brands, like that's, that's what feels most comfortable and that seems to work. Uh, next stage, you know, you're looking at like a f- anywhere in like the four to six K and that always to me feels like, okay, now we have a little bit of room. Now we can really not just, you know, be sending out this, you know, this pitch and that pitch, but we can look long-term. We can really think about where this brand is going. We can really think about the message and the legacy and the imprint of this brand. We can start to have a little bit more conversation or um, impact around the like owned media that we're creating or the partnerships that we're going after. And then, you know, and then beyond that, we have our kind of like seven to 10 K retainer, which is typically, you know, when you get to more of a a mid-sized agency or, 
you know, more of that like enterprise level, 10K is usually their minimum. So they will not right. take on clients for less than a 10K retainer. Uh, and those, yeah, those numbers I've seen stay pretty steady through the last decade. It's, it's an interesting question because I have worked in agency. I've also worked in house. And when I worked in house, sometimes I hired agencies and the pricing that I would receive. Now I, I've never received a 2,500, but the five to 15 mark was always the range, which I saw. And then you talk about when let's, let's talk about this actually, how long of a retainer are you typically roped into? And then from the business owner's standpoint, when can they actually start to see some results? Are they going to pay, you know, that first 5k or $2,500 month and they're going to see results that month or, you know, again, it depends. But when we talk about average expectations, what's an average retainer these days and what should people be setting their expectations for in terms of, you know, how quickly things are going to get going, so to say. Yeah. So I don't typically recommend a retainer agreement that's less than six months because of the nature of PR, because it is a long-term strategy, because it is incremental, because it, you know, it builds in and on itself, because things can take longer than you expect, because clients can change direction because you're, you know, things can, things can pop in. You might have, you know, an incredible opportunity and then like the strategy needs to, needs to switch. Right. And so we want to feel like there's a commitment on both sides, right? Anything that is like a three month, you know, I mean, I think if you're specifically hired, you know, just to do media relations, maybe you're just hired to do holiday pitching, depending on where you're at in your business, that might make sense. Sure. You might take on a three month project because you know that this product is really compelling. You have the existing editor relationships. You're pretty sure you can make it happen. But I encourage all of us in the communication space to really think of ourselves less as these like one trick kind of like media relations ponies and instead to really think of ourselves as strategic communication advisors that are at that executive table that are driving brand messaging that are able to report back and to be this sort of like liaison and and mediator between the goals and, and objectives sort of from the top down and what the audience is really looking for and what, what is going to be meaningful to the audience. And that is far more than the simple act, uh, not that it's simple, but the, you know, the theoretically simple act of like name in article, photograph in editor's picks, right? Uh, and particularly in this day and age when so much is happening and shifting with our, with our traditional media, there are fewer, in a lot of cases, depending on your vertical, there are simply fewer places to pitch. There are more freelance writers who are having to do their own pitching. The entire sort of editorial model is moving far more to a paid model. Um, I am now ranting on, (laughs) on the, you know, on the, on the sort of like idea of just taking on specifically like media relations, heavy work. Um, So, you know, it can work in certain scenarios. Right. Um, But I think the other thing to think about with those expectations is helping clients to understand that you were there for far more than to simply get them into the press. So, the challenge with the press piece is it's like 
yay, that's great. And like, now what's next? And that's a really exhausting way to operate. You know, you're doing all of these different things. The magical stars have to align the opportunity and the trend and the, you know, the editor and the, you know, all of it has to like, you know, all the stars have to magically align for that press hit to happen. And then it's like, that's great. What's, you know, what's next? Like right. very West Wingy, right? right? Like what's next? Like, that's great. <laughs> Thanks so much. Let's, let's go bigger. Let's go more, 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 more. And so it's really valuable to start talking about the ways that you can support a brand and a company that are beyond just that simple sort of like transactional or like toolbox piece of publicity. Um, so six months minimum annual is better in terms of expectations. You know, I think that we should know that, you know, clients are going to want to see quick results. And so we should think about what are those places where we can get some quick results and some quick traction? A lot of times that's, you know, short leads. So if you can get a couple of mentions here and there, again, it always comes down to those, those editor relationships, those writer relationships. Can you call up somebody who's a colleague slash friend and say, Hey, I've got this really great story. I've got this really great opportunity. Like, can, you know, can we place it somewhere versus cold pitching, not having those relationships? It's a much more challenging mountain <laughs> to, to right. climb up. So I do think it's, you should be thinking in your, in your execution, even through the pitch process, do I feel confident that in the first, you know, in the first eight weeks, we can start to see some movement or some traction or some real opportunity. Can we think about what are the KPIs beyond, again, that press piece that we could start to look at our, our website visits going up is social following going up Are um, you know, are we getting more inquiries from, um, you know, from stores who want to carry the product? Are we getting more inquiries from partners? Did the CEO get asked to speak at a conference because of a thought leadership piece that we got published? So really thinking about it um, from a much more, I guess, holistic perspective. Um, but, but we need to expect that that's the expectation, right? Like as business owners ourselves, it is scary to give a bunch of money to someone and trust that they are going to, if not give you like a direct... ROI, you're going to be able to, you feel confident that that person is representing you well, is, is proactively seeking out opportunities for you, cares at least as much about your business as, you know, 50% of yourself, because we never, you know, nobody ever cares the way that we care. Um, but to really understand that, like, that's a, that's a huge investment and that's trust and belief in someone else. And so, we need to figure out a way to solve for that and to make them feel like they made the right decision. And yeah, some quickie press hits are a really great way to do that. It's a great way. You're making my heart so happy because I preach left, right, center, all the places about how PR is so much more than just media relations. And it really is this holistic thing. And I would say nine times out of 10, don't, don't quote me on that. People come to people in PR just wanting those big name drops. When if you take a step back, that's actually not always the smartest strategy to help them achieve their objectives. So yes, 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 and yes to everything you're saying. <laughs> that being said, I no matter how much I preach that, I still have people wanting to understand how to land press. So yep. give me some quick, your best PR tips when it comes to pitching do's, don'ts, whatever you, you would like to share. Yeah. Well, I think to, you know, to that point, 
clients come, businesses come and they, you know, they want, they want these logos. They want these placements. Sometimes it's because their competitor did and they want to be there. Sometimes it's because they have a lifelong dream to be featured in this magazine. Sometimes it's because they have a mistake and understand expectation that like you get an X magazine and you're going to sell out. Um, and really, I think the most critical question to ask yourself before you start pitching, I guess it's kind of like the, like, why should anyone give a shit question? Yeah, like, so What true. is actually interesting or novel or newsworthy about what it is that you are doing? And if you are not doing anything particularly interesting, why would we expect somebody to be interested in what we're doing, right? That, that idea of like, if you want people to be interested, be interesting. If you want uh, uh, to inspire, you know, the curiosity and interest of an audience, be willing to stand for something, have a divisive opinion, uh, create marketing that is a little bit disruptive, uh, do something upside down from the way that it has always been done, right? Give us something that makes us curious, tease us a little bit, you know, in the marketing, like do something that is worthwhile. Once you have done that, you not only have, you know, the standalone product or service, but you have the ability to pitch the entire approach and the culture and the belief system and the value system. You have so many more opportunities. And so I think that that's, that's always like step one is, is there, is there anything here? (laughs) And then the challenge becomes, you know, the publicist knows that there isn't really anything here. And so she encourages the client, what can we do? Can we start a movement? Can we do a campaign? Can we, you know, I don't know, send out really interesting, can we send out a really interesting mailer? Can we surprise people? Can we do something, uh, you know, out and about in the world? Can we film, you know, what do, give me something to work with. And unfortunately, oftentimes there's a real lack of willingness to, to, to do something, you know, we expect like, Oh, like the, the product's supposed to sell itself or the service sells itself, or of course they're in, you know, there's just a, there's a disconnect there. So if you don't have anything particularly, you know, quote unquote newsworthy, you have two options. One is you create something, you give people an excuse, you create a platform, you create a conversation, you do something, or you figure out something that is already being done, a conversation that is already happening in the media, something that's happened in popular culture, um, a conversation that, you know, kind of people are having an emerging trend or sort of like swell in the consciousness of, you know, your consumer and you, you know, you hop onto that, you get on that horse and you explain to the editor why this particular product or service has, you know, is, is worth considering in the container of, you know, whatever this bigger story is. So those are kind of like my, my two top. Um, and then it's, you know, and then it's all the standard best practices of like, you know, do your research, be succinct, this is not an opportunity to, you know, tell somebody's life story. This is, this is a transactional, you know, form of communication. This is like, here's my idea. Here's why I think it's compelling. Here's how I'd like us to move forward. Are you in or are you out? You know, in a, in a really like soft, in a soft cell kind of a way, in a, in a, right. in a confident way um, versus 
you know, here's, blah, blah, you know, seven paragraphs of this or that, right. or like, here's the sob story of the, you know, the, you know, the rags to rich CEO story, whatever, like that can all come after, but you have to capture the editor attention and you have to give them a reason, not only why they should be interested, but why their readership should be interested. And that's, that requires a level of like strategy and inquiry um, and critical thinking that is not just, hey, we have these hoop earrings, they're $19. Right. I'd love to send you over a sample. You know, I'd love to send you over a sample. You know, I mean, there's there's that kind of like product-based pitching, but right. to really, to really do it well, you know, you want to have really rich coverage. And I think yeah. that's how you do it. Yeah. Why why should they give a shit? I think that's that's amazing. And um I I have one more fun question and then I would love you to tell everyone where they can connect with you and learn more about your community. This is called the Pitchin' and Sippin' Podcast. So at the end of every episode, I love to ask, what are you sipping? So what is your favorite beverage? It could be alcoholic, non-alcoholic. I love hearing what people have to say. Um man, I like my favorite beverage of all time as a Thai iced tea. Okay. I think Thai iced tea is the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> From a specific um, brand? No, you know, like just when you're picking out, like when you're getting like Thai takeout, just the Thai iced tea is always really fun. I don't have them quite often enough, um, you know, because it's basically like a sh- sugar dessert in a cup. But, it really um, is. and then other than that, I would probably just say, uh, you know, coffee coffee I look I look forward to my coffee every morning um and probably drink far more of it than the water that I'm supposed to be drinking right well I've right next to me coffee and water which is the water is harder for me to remember than the coffee yeah it's it's funny you say Thai iced tea we we have a local Thai restaurant near us and every single time the sweet little delivery man delivers my husband a complimentary Thai iced tea and yeah, it makes it okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so great. Yeah. Okay. So now tell us where can people learn more about PR Couture? Where can they connect with you? And do you have anything um, real quick that you want everyone to know about that might be coming up now or soon? Absolutely. It's interesting that you keep referencing the Facebook group because I actually was very hesitant for years to create a Facebook group and finally said, okay, fine, and did it. <laughs> and you know, now we've got 2,000 people in there. It's so wonderful to see people connecting with, with everyone and you know, even far more than you know, email, you feel like you're emailing into a void sometimes. Right. You know, on social, there's a there's, you know. We never, we never know how many people are going to see anything, even with, you know, best practices in mind. And a little bit of that happens in the group, but I'm, I'm so grateful that I, that I listened to that piece of advice and created Pitch Please. So the two best places to start, prcouture.com. There's a start here button, depending on if you are entry level, if you're a PR pro, if you're more on the agency or freelance side. We also have Pitch Please, which is our free Facebook community. You can either search Pitch Please or it's just Facebook slash group slash PR Couture. In terms of what we are working on, so December marks our 14th year of existence. 
and our one-year anniversary of our membership, which is called The Coterie. It's a um, coaching collective and sort of business incubator for communication consultants. And so that's very exciting. As part of that, and us opening the doors to the PR Couture Council, which is our annual mastermind for boutique agency owners, we are going to be putting on a one-day summit. We did a survey recently, and as ever, the biggest... I took that, by the way. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) The biggest piece of feedback, people always want more mentorship and more support. So what we are doing with our summit is we're actually allowing our community to give back to our community. So the summit is going to actually feature the expertise and support of members of our team, members who are in our current mastermind and and membership so that everyone can really get a sense of like, who are the actual people that make up the PR Couture community beyond just Crosby? Uh, So that is going to be on December 11th. So depending on when this runs, there might be things out already. We'll see. Um, it is called the Power Move Summit, and it'll be on December 11th. And, you know, after years of being, you know, you should do a conference. You should do a conference. I wish we could do a conference. Can you do a multi-city tour of, like, dinners and, you know, all of these big plans? This feels like a um, – this felt like the right time and the right moment to start that a little bit, but doing that virtual. So we've never done a full day's worth of programming before. Um, so I'm right in the planning stages right now. I love a good new project. So I'm having so much fun building that all out and getting all of that together. So if you are interested in spending some time with us, um, the summit coming up will be a really great way to just learn from so many incredible minds in the communication space. And I'm really excited about it. So much. First off, congratulations. So many exciting things happening. 14 years is, is incredible and rare, honestly, some yeah. for businesses these days. I so. like to say that we're vintage. We're like vintage internet at this point because... I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We just keep on You're a staple. You're a staple. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just so grateful that you, you came on today and everyone listening, you can obviously tell that Crosby is a wealth of knowledge. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I am going to let you get back to all the million things you're working on, but just wanted to say thank you. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm so appreciative of the invitation. It's always so fun. Yeah. Thank you. Hey guys, if you are enjoying the Pitchin' and Sippin' podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave a review wherever you are listening. If you want to connect with me to learn more about the PR Bar Inc., you can do so on Instagram at theprbar underscore Inc., or you can check out my website at theprbarinc.com. Cheers! Cheers!